0: My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st Century. Welcome to episode three of the creative disruption season of the 21st Century Creative, where we are hearing stories of creatives around the world who came up with a creative response to the challenges of the pandemic. Today, we are looking at the world of film and TV production, which was massively disrupted by the pandemic restrictions all of which created a huge headache for TV production companies, movie studios, advertising agencies, and other media producers. At the same time, filmmakers all over the world were sitting at home frustrated that they were unable to use their skills and anxious about their financial situation. At this point, as you will hear in today's interview, my guests, Harrison Winter, Brandon Block, and Lagan Siebert, realized the solution was staring them in the face. Listen on to find out what their solution was. Suffice to say, it's a really dramatic example of a creative opportunity opening up when your innovative approach puts you ahead of the curve. Okay, before we plunge into the rest of today's episode, if you are enjoying the season and if you have your phone handy and you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, could you please take a couple of seconds to quickly scroll down to the ratings section and swipe right once to give the show a rating? Ideally, all the way to the right. In other words, a five-star rating. And you don't need to leave a review. A lot of people don't realize this, but you can just leave a rating by simply scrolling down and swiping right. It takes a couple of seconds and it would be a massive help to me because it's a signal to other people and also the little gremlins inside the Apple podcast algorithms that this is the kind of show that's really helpful to creative people like you. So it would really help me spread the word and help more creatives like you. Thank you. Marketing is a word that strikes fear into the heart of many creatives. It's an area where many of us feel we don't have a natural talent. We're far more comfortable making work than telling the world about it, let alone trying to get anyone to buy it. One reason for this is that marketing can feel really big and impersonal. We think of mass marketing, and it's hard to feel a connection to the masses. We prefer to make things with more of an intimate, one-to-one feel. If you're a writer, you probably have a single ideal reader in your mind as you write. If you're an artist, you very likely think of how your work will look to a single viewer. It feels like a big and unnatural shift to start thinking about promoting this thing we've made for a single person – by trying to talk to thousands of potential customers. Plus, there's so much competition, including big brands with huge marketing budgets and super influencers with hundreds of thousands of followers. So it's easy to feel that we've got no chance of cutting through. But really, this is an illusion. Marketing may be pumped out at scale, but it's encountered in a very intimate way. When you look at a tweet or a Facebook post, there aren't millions of people looking over your shoulder. It's just you and your phone. When you read a magazine, you are alone with the magazine. When you listen to a podcaster talking on your headphones or in your car or in your kitchen while you're cooking, it's just one person listening to another person talking. Even if you're looking at an ad on a poster or a billboard in a crowded space, it still feels like you're the only one looking at it. Or if you're watching an ad in a cinema surrounded by people, you're not really aware of them. It's just you and the screen. So when I'm working with a coaching client on their marketing, I encourage them to focus on one-to-one communication. And to help them do this, I use a tool I call the media dashboard, because the dashboard in a car displays all the essential information a driver needs while on the road. Speed, fuel gauge, engine temperature, warnings if something's going wrong, and the sat-nav helps you find your way. And it's quite an intimate experience. You know, the, the dashboard is designed to be visible to the driver. Everything is tilted to make it easy for you to see it. And obviously, the dashboard is essential for navigating the road safely and getting to your destination. It's an overlay of information on the real world that you can see coming at you through the windscreen. A form of augmented reality. Driving without a dashboard would be a disorienting and scary thing to do. You wouldn't know how fast you were going, or where you were, or whether you were about to run out of fuel. And if you think about it, We all have a personal media dashboard that we use to navigate life in the 21st century. We have our trusted news sources for local, national and world events. We have social media to keep up with friends, professional contacts and people we're interested in. We have books, podcasts, radio, YouTube, Netflix, Disney Plus and so on for entertainment and learning. We have specialist professional magazines or journals relating to our work. Different media fulfil different purposes. They keep us informed about the world around us and help us make decisions from what to watch on TV tonight, to business strategy or career moves, to who to vote for every few years. Like the car dashboard, your media dashboard is a very intimate space. And the instruments on your dashboard are your trusted sources of information. But unlike a car dashboard, your media dashboard is individually curated by you. Each of us has our unique media dashboard that we are constantly tweaking and adjusting as our interests, our tastes, and our situation evolve. So how does this relate to your marketing challenge? It's really very simple. Your marketing goal should be to appear on the media dashboard of the person you want to reach. If you can do that, and if the impression you create is sufficiently positive, and if your message is clear enough, they are very likely to do what you want. Whether that's buying your product or artwork, or inquiring about your services, or subscribing to your podcast or YouTube or newsletter, or telling other people about you and helping to spread the word. Remember, their media dashboard contains their most trusted sources of information. So if you appear there, you've cut through all the noise. You are in their inner sanctum. Sounds simple, right? And no, it's not easy. But it is at least simpler and more meaningful than trying to broadcast to hundreds of thousands of people with a scattergun approach, hoping that you'll somehow cut through to the right people. So, what I say to my clients is to start by imagining the media dashboard of the kind of person you want to reach. Who are they? Where do they get their news? Do they use social media? If so, which platforms? Do they read books? If so, do they prefer print or e books? Or maybe audiobooks? Do they listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos, or read blogs or newsletters? Do they read professional journals? If so, which ones? How about mainstream media, newspapers, magazines, TV, radio? Start with some educated guesses, but make sure you check these in reality. A bit of judicious googling may uncover some fascinating data about the media habits of different segments of society. And pay attention to your friends and peers and colleagues. What kind of media do they mention in conversations? It may also be worth paying attention to your own media dashboard. Now, you need to be a little bit careful here because you've got to be really clear on how similar you are to your buyer. So in my case as a coach, I have a lot in common with my clients. If you are, say, an artist selling paintings to a wealthy collector, you know, your media dashboard and theirs could be quite different. So it helps to sketch this person's media dashboard on a piece of paper in a similar format to a car dashboard with the different media logos in the place of the different car instruments. Next, look at it and ask yourself the big question. How can I appear on that dashboard? List all the options that you can come up with. They might include growing your profile on a relevant social media platform, getting interviewed on a podcast, pitching a guest article to a blog or magazine or trade journal, getting interviews or coverage in the news media writing a book, launching a podcast or YouTube or maybe paying for advertising or PR and notice that there aren't any easy options but then work worth doing usually is difficult but the media dashboard makes it easier in two ways. Firstly it helps you focus your efforts in the right kind of places and crucially It helps you keep your marketing personal by focusing on one-to-one communication that will feel personal. So, for example, in my case as a creative coach, I know this about the media dashboards of the kind of creative professionals I want to reach. They read books for personal and professional development, so I write books. They listen to podcasts for the same reason, so I make a podcast and I give interviews to other podcasts. They aren't massive social media users. They're more likely to be on Twitter or Instagram than Facebook or TikTok or wherever the young people are these days. So I focus on Twitter because it's the one I like the most, and at the same time, it's a good fit. They read newspapers, usually the digital edition. I have a pretty good idea which newspapers, which means I say yes to some media inquiries and no to others. So this is how the media dashboard helps me focus my efforts. It's not quick and it's not easy. But I know if I commit, then over time I can appear on the dashboards of enough of the right kind of people. Finally, remember everyone is constantly tweaking their media dashboard. So keep an eye out for new platforms, publications, new channels and new trends in media consumption. And please drive safely. If you're enjoying The 21st Century Creative, you may like to know there is more to this podcast than meets the ear. To help you succeed in your creative career or business, I've created an in-depth program, the 21st Century Creative Foundation course. It covers the personal and professional skills you'll need to succeed as a creative professional in the 21st century. In other words, the stuff they probably didn't teach you at art school, on your creative writing masters, or wherever else you learned your craft. Things like how to manage your time, how to communicate your ideas, how to handle difficult conversations, how to close a sale, how to deal with money, how to grow your network, and how to attract an audience for your work. Altogether, there are 26 lessons in the course, full of practical advice, plus a worksheet for each one to help you put the ideas into practice. And I'm giving you the entire course for free. In case you can't quite believe your ears, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course and see for yourself. When you get there, you can sign up with just an email address and you'll get your first lesson right away. By the way, the course has already been taken by over 11,000 students. And on the sign up page, you'll see lots of testimonials from other creatives whose lives and careers have been changed by the course. You can join them right now for free by going to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. Most of us watched a lot of TV and movies during lockdown, so it would be easy to look at the booming streaming services and conclude that these industries were having, quote, a good pandemic. But at the other end of the conveyor belt, when it came to filming new work, instead of pushing out completed productions, it was a very different story. Film sets are places where people crowd together and emotions are expressed, involving laughter, tears, kissing, shouting, and other activities. And that's just in front of the camera, these industries also faced an additional layer of difficulty from travel, because many productions require filming in different locations around the world. So travel restrictions, border control, quarantine, and later on vaccine requirements meant that a huge proportion of filming simply ground to a halt during 2020 and has struggled to pick up since. I've seen the effect on some of my coaching clients who work in these industries. You know, projects in development generally move pretty slowly, but they slowed even more dramatically during the pandemic. And the knock-on effect has reached everyone involved in these industries. Performers, film crew, directors, writers, producers, and so on. So, I knew I wanted to cover film and TV in the creative disruption season, but I wasn't sure what angle to take until I was approached by a company called Home Team, who said they had a very different perspective on global filming and a solution to the obstacles of the pandemic that they had been road testing for over a decade. I was intrigued, so I set up a conversation with home team founders Harrison Winter, Brandon Block, and Lagan Siebert, and they told me an amazing story. In today's interview, they explain how in early 2020, when many people were lamenting the fact it was impossible to send film crews around the world, they realised they were sitting on a solution because they'd already spent years building networks of filmmakers around the world and providing remote shooting services to clients via Harrison's company, Co.Mission Content Group, and Brandon and Lagan's company, Magic Seed Productions. Between them, their two companies had the resources and experience to reboot production while the rest of the industry went dark. So they took the next logical step and founded a whole new company, Home Team. Home Team leverages a highly curated network of over 500 top-tier filmmakers across more than 150 countries to provide remote shooting solutions to clients around the globe. Their clients include NBC's The Voice, HBO Max's Legendary, NBC's Global Citizen Prize, Trillions of Questions, No Easy Answers, a feature-length documentary for Google. In the course of our conversation, Harrison, Brandon and Lagan talk about the chaos of early 2020 and about spotting the big opportunity right in front of them. The point where their innovative approach had suddenly gone from niche and risky to mainstream and essential. They tell the story of how they joined the dots connecting clients and filmmakers to reboot filming, get productions made, and provide work for talented creatives around the world. And they argue that their model is not just a band-aid for a temporary problem, because it can deliver creative benefits as well as logistical ones. So it opens up new possibilities for the future of production for TV, film, brand and agency projects. If you are involved in film production in any way, you will find this a compelling and thought-provoking conversation. And even if you're not, I think you'll find it a really inspiring and dramatic story of finding the creative solution in a set of constraints and about the importance of pursuing an innovative idea in the face of external resistance to the point where a big opportunity suddenly opens up. Harrison, Lagan, Brandon, how did you get started on the creative path that you're now on? And I'm aware there may well be three different answers to this.
1: Yeah. Do you want the the short answer or the very long-winded answer? Um, I think like so many examples, I, I, I won't go so far as to say we're an overnight success yet. But whenever you hear of an overnight success, you know, the saying is 10 years went into that journey to get you there. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would say it's been at least 10 years, but you could trace my journey back to childhood and drawing and being creative and going to school for entrepreneurship and, and then dabbling with film equipment and learning how to tell stories on my own, learning how to use the equipment on my own, going back to school for film, working in the industry at every level, at playing every crew role on a set. Uh, you know, that, that informs every decision we make at, at this point. Um, and so I think it's a strength of mine and, and ours, but is the fact that we've rolled up our sleeves and gotten our hands dirty playing every role in the film production process. So we have kind of this like innate understanding of what's needed to create something uh, in film and video and also what our crew needs to be successful, what our clients expect and what it takes to make their, to meet their expectations. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'll, I'll jump in. I do think it's interesting. I think all three of us do come from different backgrounds, but there's a similarity to the story Uh because, uh, I I think it is not a coincidence that we're all, we're all basically the same age. Um, because there was definitely some, some advances in technology that happened, you know, in around the mid two thousands where, you know, I think in the film community, they, call it like the 5d revolution Mm -hmm. where, you know, there were, there were new cameras that came out that gave, gave independent filmmakers the ability to make something that looks cinematic and make something that looked like it came from Hollywood, um, within a camera body that only cost you know, maybe $1,200 or Mm $1,500. And so, um, I, I think all three of us were, were kind of part of that. Um, you know, I know for myself, um, you know, I was, I was very interested in film. I was working in production, um, in, in Los Angeles, but, you know, was inspired by the independent filmmakers that I saw, you know, making documentaries. Um, at that time I was, you know, very interested in social documentaries and, um, and just seeing that that the, the technology had advanced and the tools were there that anybody could grab a camera, and as long as is you had the talent and you had, you know, the commitment and and you had a good story to tell, like anybody could really do it. So I, I think that's kind of and a lot of the people that we work with now, um, not not all, but a lot of them do come from that same uh, that same generation. Uh, I think we're in like the mid 2000s when like the technology got to a point where anybody could pick up a DSLR and go out and create something beautiful.
0: Harrison, does that resonate for you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the original question was, you know, how did we, you know, individually and collectively find our way to creative paths? path? That was kind of the question, right? Yeah. 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 I think, um, what Lagan said resonates for all of us. Um, we all, you know, quote unquote grew up that way in our professional careers, um, Mm -hmm. and found each other as, as collaborators and partners that way. I think, um, you know, I think being a creative in general means that you're just wired a little differently. Um, Mm -hmm. and that wiring can come from a, a range of different places. Um, You know, I come from a fairly creative and entrepreneurial family um, where that's just kind of a a part of, you know, who we are. Um, You know, I spent the first 10 years of my career in in advertising and marketing and and things like that before I just really got bored. And, you know, as Legan said, um, all these filmmaking tools became immediately much more readily available. And so um, I started... Filming and directing and producing and editing and coloring um, and just really got bit by it and fell in love with it um, and made a, you know, and made a career switch um, in some regards. Um, And so, yeah, I think we've all kind of found our own winding paths into this. um, But I think especially over the past 10 years have a have a ton in common. Um, on a creative path, on how we arrived at where we are today.
0: If we could, you know, maybe fast forward to late 2019, none of us had ever heard of COVID. What did your work look like at that stage? Where where were you? What were you working on? What what were you planning for 2020?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, I'll take this one. Um, Legan and I were running. production company called magic seed Mm -hmm. and what that looked like was a pretty traditional model for a, a small full service production company we were doing a lot of branded content a lot of music videos social content some commercials and we i think we had that pretty dialed in um and we're really proud of our work it was a lot of really creative stuff for brands and agencies and companies um, what's unique and kind of set us up i think to respond so quickly to what happened in early 2020 was harrison kind of came back into the the picture and we were all having a conversation at that point as as 29 moved into 2020 the three of us were having conversations about like how could we do this better like we were identifying pain points of how based on 10 years of experience for each of us, like something's something could be done better here. Like this, there seems to be a lot more effort put into making a video than needs to be. And uh, a lot of frustration, like pitches that go nowhere, a lot of effort goes into that overshooting, just tons of footage that all Mm -hmm. leads to like a 30 second spot. And you're like, we left so much on the cutting room floor um, yeah. having to spend, you know, as, as like a kind of father of two young kids, you know, having to spend more and more time on the road every time yeah. I I had to make something, I had to go travel for four or five, 10 days at a time. And so just identifying kind of like inefficiencies in the model ways that could be done better. And we have a document from late 2019, early 2020 pre pandemic of like, here's a bunch of pain points and let's as three partners with experience and like kind of innovative spirits, like maybe there's ways we could solve this. And that's the conversation we were having, like right as the news dropped of the pandemic.
0: Okay. And little did you know what that news was going to be and and maybe which specific pain points got ramped up. But what was your sense at that point of what the most important pain points were, the, the biggest problems to solve?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was also, I I definitely think Harrison should jump in here because if, if there was any of us that had the crystal ball, it was definitely Harrison because obviously when the pandemic started, like the very most practical thing that stopped is travel. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, like, I mean, Harrison, uh, Harrison's the one who's, who's kind of been working on this model of doing production without travel for a long time. So I mean, yeah. Harrison, do you want to just like talk about that
3: a little bit? Yeah, I would love to. Um, it's funny as soon as COVID arrived on the scene within the first couple of weeks, I turned to, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, this COVID thing is, is going to be, is going to be a big deal and it's going to be a mess. And it, and it's going to be really bad, but I, but one of the, the first things I said is I said, it's going to be amazing for our business. Um, you know, production has started to come to, to a standstill, um, because you had a legacy industry that was built on putting crews on planes, um, to go and shoot. And I had, I have been running a, a production company, um, for a decade that had a very specific, unique model that really, um, was about remote global production. We had done huge campaigns where we were filming with, you know, 30, 40 crews on a single day spread out around the world. Um, but leading up to 2019 and and early 2020, we had that production company that I was running, had really started to reach its limits, um, in terms of, of, you know, client growth and things like that, just because we've carved out like such a niche in global, um, that it just became limiting. And I think when, yeah, when COVID arrived, that was my, my first instinct was the entire industry was then going to have to go through a really big, painful adjustment of the first New York reaction was let's hold, let's hold productions. Let's hold productions and yeah. wait and see what happens. And then what happened was after like two or three months, when everybody started to realize that like, this wasn't going to turn around anytime soon. And everybody's livelihood as advertising agencies, as brands, as TV networks was like content's mm-hmm. been the lifeblood of those industries and those business and driving revenue and advertising dollars. Something had to be figured out. And um, it was very... Very immediate in 2020, me, Brandon and Lagan, you know, all kind of immediately came to the idea of like, we've got to launch something new and it's really got to be focused on remote production and we've got to, we've got to do it quickly and and come to the market with something that is, that is fresh, that is timely, that is solution oriented and to solve this problem because there's nobody really better fit to do it. Um, that's my long-winded answer. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that does. And I'm curious, before we go too far into the pandemic story, what was it that made you prioritize global production and remote production for such a long time before this came along and everyone had to think about it?
3: I Before I started that, that production company, I was in advertising and, and marketing for a decade at brands and at advertising agencies. And the last account that I had, I had helped to run at an ad agency was one of the, was one of the biggest, you know, hotel travel companies in the world. Um, and that client and a lot of other clients, um, around the agency were starting to ask for a lot more digital online content that was, you know, not huge TV campaigns. And, the agencies were having a really hard time delivering on it and they were starting to ask for content that needed to be filmed in a lot of different places. And it just wasn't, it wasn't a request from from clients that anybody out there was really able to meet. Um, and at the same time, I had started to create content. So I had, I had become a filmmaker, uh, in the sense of learning how to, you know, shoot, direct, edit, all of that. And so At the same time, I started to meet a ton of other filmmakers that were very similar to me. And I was living in in Brooklyn at the time, and that's when Brandon and I linked up and and I started to do small projects for brands. And so as I was meeting more and more of these filmmakers in Brooklyn, because Brooklyn was a massive creative hub at the time, where like this was Brooklyn was like one of the epicenters of, of where this new filmmaking meets technology was starting to really like bubble up globally. Um, Brooklyn was one of those main hubs, but I started to notice it was like Brooklyn's not like an anomaly. These, these, because of the technology, these filmmakers are, are butting up everywhere. And so, um, I saw these two things meet, right? I saw the need because I'd come from advertising and marketing. And then I knew that there was this supply to meet it. Um, but nobody had really made that connection yet. Um, and, I wanted to really be at, in these early stages of this, of this industry transformation, back to your original question, why did I decide to focus on this? I needed something and I wanted something that I could go into any room at any client at any agency, any, anywhere in the world and say, wherever you need your content filmed, we know how to do that tomorrow, and we've got it covered. I needed to have a stake in the ground in order mm-hmm. to really drive attention and confidence and, and to be known for something. Um, and so I just kind of saw the trend, and I felt like that's where everything was heading, and I, and I started to just build it around that.
0: So you observed that trend. You, you noticed it in your own experience, your own ambitions and your own practice as a filmmaker. You looked around, you saw other people were doing it, not just near you, but in other parts of the world. And, and you had this idea of joining up the dots so that, as you say, you could walk into that room and promise remote production, wherever, whatever the project is around the globe. So is this why you said to your wife, I think there's a good opportunity for us when the pandemic... When COVID hit? Yeah. I think the big reason
3: was the first ten years of, of running this type of model, the main we were working with amazing clients. And but the reason why we were working with amazing clients is because those types of clients were the early adopters. It was the tech companies of the world. It was Facebook, Instagram, Google, Starbucks. It was it was these really, really forward-thinking early adopters. But mm-hmm. they would only have a few key projects a year that were a very good fit for this model, right? But what had yeah. happened over that decade is there was nothing that had really happened yet to really push this model beyond very early adopter clients. there wasn't enough momentum to push it a little bit more mainstream as a model that more and more clients could see a reason to use, right? And the reason why I turned to my wife immediately was because I I could understand that this was going to be the huge shift in the fabric of the world and the fabric of reality Mm -hmm. that was going to all of a sudden – make this model an absolute necessity where it was no longer going to be relevant whether it's early adopters or late adopters all of a sudden within the matter of a month of of COVID happening this model then all of a sudden became really in in our minds the only way forward and so right. the you know the task of finding early adopters and like educating them on the model and how it's going to work. And it you for a decade having to push upstream all of a sudden the current in the stream changed direction. And all of a sudden I knew the stream was going to start to flow towards us. And that's kind of what, where my mind was going and why I said that to my wife was I was like, you know, I knew the, the river current was going to change.
1: I mean, to, I could say it, like another way is that it went from a nice to have, I think, right? Like if, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to tell a story that was a global story and you didn't want to put a crew on a plane and fly them to those locations, it used to be, it was like a nice model and the, the client had to come around and say, Oh, well maybe we could use this different Mm -hmm. model and, and take a risk on it. Right. And then it went to a must have solution like this is the only way we're going to be able to move forward, Mm. uh, because travel's impossible. So it COVID created this constraint and the solution had already been solved by Harrison and his model. And Lagan and I were already familiar with this solution because I I had been a director for Harrison's company. So I had been Mm -hmm. on like the crew and director side of using the model and knowing it, it works and this is how you build productions and and Lagan and I had also spent a career doing music content like hopping on tour buses landing in cities and crewing up with local crews so we kind of mm-hmm. had our own version of this and our the important thing is like a comfort with it too knowing yeah. that i could fly to seattle like one of our last productions Lagan, before covid hit was Lagan and I flew to Seattle and we connected with an entire crew in Seattle. We didn't fly the whole crew there. We were comfortable flying there as the creative leads and hooking up with a crew that already had the infrastructure. So we were all very comfortable with this model of like, uh, there's remote distributed crews all over the world. Um, and then the other, the other way I wanted to I wanted to tell like a little story of like in the early days of covid the other thing was we I think each of us are friends with uh we're friends with like agency leads and creatives who commission business mm-hmm. personal friends we're also friends with the filmmakers people who run around own the gear travel yeah. create awesome content so for me what the experience looked like in the early days of covid was scrolling through my instagram feed and one friend who works at an agency is like i guess full stop no more production until this passes
0: mm-hmm. and the next
1: little frame on on instagram was like my buddy mike down down the street or in another <laughs> state who owns a closet full of tens of thousands worth of amazing red cameras and gimbals and drones and mm. he's saying i guess i guess my life is going to be doing still lives of my cats or, you know, the flowers <laughs> on my, on my table, you know, cause we're all quarantined. So what it looked like to, to us, I think is like s- demand meets supply demand of like, I guess we're never going to do production again. And the next thing you slide down, you say a filmmaker, I guess I'm never going to shoot again. And I right. was saying, well, I guess we could actually be the matchmaker between those two parties. And and help them all realize like you can keep your projects going for your clients Mm -hmm. because we could shoot it wherever you need to shoot it without needing to travel. We could shoot it locally. And for the filmmakers, it's, you could still have a livelihood. You don't need to hop on a plane to earn a paycheck. You could shoot with the resources you, you own and you could shoot with your friends and your family members. Even you could tell stories locally. You could tell stories in your own backyard at your own kitchen table. So If I, when I flash back to those early days of the pandemic, it was like motivated by a lot of just like, let's solve this problem for our friends who work in agencies and need the work made, and our friends who are filmmakers and need to keep making a living, honestly. So it seemed like a very easy, like, aha, okay, let's just like link these two parties together and keep making stuff.
2: Yeah. One really quick, like, note on that, because I do, of the three of us, I do the most work in the music world. So what happened in music was really fascinating because all the tours got canceled, right? Yeah. So every which is like the main driver of income for musicians, you know. So like because there's no album sales anymore, like the main way they can make a living is by touring. So all the tours got canceled. So all of a sudden, all of these musicians, their best option for earning income was like, you know, doing live streams or doing concerts online, things like that, like the, the demand for video spiked, mm-hmm. um, you know, during it, I, I would say probably overall, I, I think there's probably some, some, somebody who's like figured that out, that it's probably like the demand for video since the pandemic started has spiked in general, but I can tell you from experience and music, it has absolutely spiked. So you know, in my network, which is much more heavily focused on music, um, you know, it's just it was just a necessity, you know, and, and a lot of people like people, the artists and the labels and things like that. They're like, how can we do this? And, you know, the reality is, is that the, the way that that we've all three of us been brought up, we've done production is a more nimble model. Right. And that's that's the that's the style of production that works within a pandemic is a more nimble model where you have, you know, five to 15 people on set instead of 50 to 150. Cause that is in exponentially more complicated mm-hmm. during a pandemic.
1: Yeah. I think we all got really comfortable in our careers over the past 10 years with like, you could make something really beautiful and compelling with, I'll be honest with a two man crew. I, I mean, yeah. My most popular video I ever made that looks, I mean, beautiful in my opinion. <laughs> no, but, you yeah. know, it's award-winning. It got all the Vimeo staff picks. It got into a lot of festivals and won some festivals. I made that with my friend, Tim. It was two people. That's it.
0: Wow. And, and then I would
1: go as a director to a set where, <laughs> you know, I, f- I come in, I look around, I'm like, there's 60 people on the set what are all these people doing? And then the end product comes out and I'm like, this is nowhere near as lively and exciting and entertaining as the thing I made with my buddy. So, and and just to say, I think all of us got really used to that um, scale of production. And so mm-hmm. a lot of our clients still, you know, with Home Team, um, come to us and one of the things they're having to get comfortable with is like, wait, you're, are you saying we can make something for television with a crew of four (laughs) or five and and maybe that's actually one of the big things they're having to get comfortable with and and we've proven i mean we've seen that for for over a decade
0: so you're saying um, because i mean there's a clear and obvious benefit to all of this in terms of logistics being able to to get people on the ground where you want them to be to shoot without having to get on airplanes etc but you're saying that beyond that and the you know the the efficiency and the and the environmental impact and so on. That there's a creative benefit in being leaner and being more nimble.
3: You're teeing up Brandon's favorite uh, Brandon's favorite subject. Yeah, go for go for it, Brandon. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: creative new creative
1: possibilities. Well, you know, I my favorite part of what we're doing is I mean, there's a lot of things I really love about what we're doing, but one of my favorite things is meeting agency creatives on a call and they're mm-hmm. like, we've, we've heard of you guys. I think we might need to use you because there's no other way to get this done. So they, they meet us because they're, they're in, they're stuck. Their backs against yeah. the wall. Yeah. And my goal in those conversations is to turn them into seeing this isn't just a, you're forced to use us. What what the tool we've built with home team actually offers is a new creative tool in your toolkit that opens up the ability to tell bigger stories across a global scale. So rather than you needing to crew up in the most expected hubs of maybe LA, New York, Atlanta, um, your story can be more authentic and more local and feel more homemade. And, and you know, the crews, nobody know, knows the texture of their city better than a local crew. So when we're shooting for, for NBC or HBO, you know, you could imagine how they used to arrive as a crew flying from LA lands in Iowa mm-hmm. and has to immediately start sourcing locations and they're going to hit the the highlights, the most expected kind of touristy things you could search on, on Google. Instead, if you hire the crew from Iowa, they're going to say, there's this awesome cornfield and like my buddy owns that coffee shop and there's this really cool alleyway nobody knows about where all the locals, you know, do graffiti or whatever. Right. Um, and so you're able to get these much more Uh, you're, you're just able to bring more flavor out of the creative. And so by the end of these calls with agencies, it's like, I, I start to see their eyes open up and they're like, wait, we could tell stories that exist across the United States, or, you know, we could tell stories that exist across the globe, um, rather than, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have another client that's like an education client and, you know, we used to, uh, this is an example I like to use. We used to say, let's land in Seattle or Austin and we have to tell the story of like five students and what their experience looks like. But we have to cast it all in that one city because we're doing five days of production in that city. With that same client, we can now say, we could tell the story of what is the first day of school look like in every one of the 50 states in the US. And we could film it all on the same first day of school. And it, it's just a whole different, creative possibility. Right? Yeah.
2: It, can I add one thing to that too? Is, is something that's really, and, and this you have to, tra- you have to, um, you know, chalk it up to technology in the way it's advanced, but like in a, tra- on a traditional set, right? So you've got, you know, <clears throat> your director, your cinematographer, like filming. And cl- typically you've got like, whether it be like the clients or like, other interested parties if they're on set they're they're typically away from where the the filming is happening Mm -hmm. behind a monitor and they're watching the monitor right yeah so what's crazy is so what is the difference between that and (laughs) watching the same footage on zoom yeah because here's the other thing is like if that if that client has a note on what they're shooting They're not going to go yell at the director. Hey, hey, stop doing that. Like we got to change and do this thing. What they're going to do actually is they're going to text the producer. Mm. So what's actually happened is like when you're on Zoom or Google Meet or whatever and you're streaming the camera feed, it's actually making things more streamlined because then you can just put in the chat to the producer. um, Oh, by the way, like, we need to get a, another version of that because the guy pronounced the, the name of the city wrong. You know, yeah. like there is, there is absolutely nothing different from, from a, a client or an interested party, like doing that, watching the, the feed on zoom or, you know, traveling halfway across the world to sit in another room behind a monitor. There's no difference.
3: Yeah. I'd love to add one other important thing about, you know, the creative possibilities that, that Brandon was talking about as well, which is a really super important thing is, you know, I think our industry right now is, there's two, I think parts of our, of our industry. There's an old guard and a, and a new guard. And I think what's happened is, you know, when Brandon talks about, you know, these additional creative possibilities and, you know, finding, using that filmmaker in Iowa who knows all about the best places to film because they live there. What's interesting is the old guard of our industry who's been filming in New York and LA for for decades is still operating under the assumption that the only good filmmaker talent, directors, DPs, etc., are still only residing in New York and LA. And Mm -hmm. What we have found over the past decade is the guy in Iowa is filming on the same gear and is as talented as the filmmakers in New York and LA. He might be hard to find, but right. he's there. He, he, he's in Iowa. Um, and he's in, he, or she. he or she. He or she. He or she. Great point. Um, and... There might not be 50 in Iowa, but there might be two. And that level of talent is a big part of why these creative possibilities are opened. You know, we're not going to really be the ones to lobby for, you know, hey, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is what we do is not just stick somebody behind a camera, right? Like what we've done over the yeah. past ten years is we've done the really hard work of finding. All right, if there's only one guy or, or woman in Iowa at this at this level of talent, who is he or she? Um, and we found all of them in across the U.S. and 150 countries around the world, and that's a big part of what's also opened up these creative opportunities. Mm-hmm. Is you know the old guard might have also. Assume that there are camera operators in every state, but that the talent is is very subpar, and that's just changed completely gradually over the past decade. And that's a huge part of, of what's opened yeah. up those creative those creative possibilities. And
2: it's also it's also why we we call we call them filmmakers, and I think that's a really important classification because we don't work with anybody. There's nobody on our roster who's a, a camera operator. There is like we we only work with people who are who are filmmakers and the differences. That means that they they are technically capable to operate cameras, but they're also, you know, very adept creatively to have the vision, have a great eye to know what how to get the beautiful shots mm-hmm. and how to tell a story visually. So there's there's a big difference, and that's why. We always, you know, refer to our network as, as
1: filmmakers. Yeah, because I, I just want to jump in and say it's because the only reason our model works, you know, people say, well, you have less control if you're doing this remotely. And yeah. So, you know, for this model to work, we have to find the right people who could take a vision that's eighty percent baked in mm-hmm. and we deliver the the correct shot list and style guidance and gear specs and all that we take it 80% of the way and then we trust them as talented filmmakers to take it across the finish line and add 20%, 30%, 40%. They always plus it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's how this model works. It, you know, one of the things I think for your podcast and your audience is like for, for all of us, I think to succeed, we need to trust each other a lot. Right. It can't just be like, if, if we were the types of creatives to say, this is my vision, it's only in my head. I need to control it a hundred percent. I need to yeah. be there on site telling everybody exactly what to do. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have come to this solution because mm-hmm. we're, we're more, the, the people in our network are all have a similar spirit. It's like eagle, egoless, collaborative, um, independent. And so that that opens us up to consider a lot of different possibilities that I think others might not uh, open themselves up to consider.
0: Okay, so if we go back to early part of 2020, Brandon, you're scrolling through Instagram. Harrison, you're talking to your wife. You're all trying to get your heads around what is happening to us. What are the implications? How did you get from there to forming home team?
1: Well, I, I mean, I remember it one way, but I, I would love to get both of your guys' perspective. But I think one of the first things we did was start reaching out to our filmmaker friends and say, let's create, kind of like let's, let's hack together a bit of like a Rolodex of where are you located? What kind of gear do you have? Things like who's in your family who might appear on camera what parks do you live near <laughs> you know we were cons- <laughs> we were basically expecting like no one could leave their house or mm-hmm. go more than a mile in any given direction right yeah. so and and also we were we were thinking like you know there's going to be some clients who want to shoot a tabletop orange juice commercial with a young kid there's going to be some clients who want to shoot a really cool music video in an urban environment right so we we were just thinking like what are the possible scenarios of clients and what they might need? And then mm-hmm. who do we know amongst our friends and our network and Harrison's vast network that he had created with his previous co- commission company? But let's like kind of all just um, combine all of our Rolodexes and just start reaching out to our friends who are all stuck in the same way and say, hey, we're going to figure this out. But in order for us to figure this out, we, we kind of need you to like, help us out and tell us what are you able to do locally? Uh Um, and so, so that's, I, I remember that as like the
3: first step. Here's, here's the story. Um, so me and Brandon and Lagan had already linked up in like January, 2020, uh, to start, try to figure out like, how do we all kind of figure out how to work together? Um, you know, despite having two different production companies, like how do we, how do we go in and start working more together? And we had started start to try to map that out. And, um, and what happened was when, when COVID hit, you know, I'm in Charleston at the time, Brandon is in, um, Austin at the time, Lagan is still in New Jersey, hadn't yet moved to Nashville. And so we're all communicating on text like day to day, like tossing around ideas. And I remember I got up one morning and, you know, I was just trying to brainstorm, like, okay, like, production's at a standstill. We knew we had this remote model that would work. But at the same time, like, um, brands also wanted, like, commercials and things like that, where you need, like, you need actors, you need talent, you not, not just, like, the crews, right? So how do you mm-hmm. start to do that again? And I had just kind of, like, almost, like, jo- I definitely jokingly texted Brandon and Lagan, and I said, cause we, al- we also had like some really great contacts in Seattle. And I said, we should just like rent like a massive house in Seattle, put all of our like crew and gear into the house in Seattle and mm-hmm. bring in like an awesome wardrobe stylist and bring in like some, like a cast of like five to seven talent and just like churn out different commercials for clients and like make everybody in that house quarantine so that nobody yeah. would catch COVID. And we <laughs> could just repurpose talent and just make commercial after commercial. And I was, and I was joking and I'll never forget Brandon texted back and he was like, he was basically like, fuck that. Like we should just tap all of our filmmakers that already have their family that can act as talent. And Mm -hmm. every single filmmaker that lives in a home is a different one of these things. And he was like, and we should just call it home team. And that's in general in that singular text exchange is the story of how it kind of happened. Um, in terms of like, if you were to make it into a story and then, yeah. And then we went to work and then it was like, okay, there's really an idea here. Um, and we can make it work. It's essentially like the model that we already have with remote global production, but now let's, let's plus onto it everything. Does that make sense? I I would even,
1: I would go further just for your audience and say that kind of encapsulates one of the lessons of COVID, I think. is mm-hmm. like we could either like put up our shields and say like, okay, we all have to quarantine and just get really small and like yeah. all stay You know, and and maybe bring the resources in, but like stay really like protective of what we have, or Mm -hmm. we could get, we could share it all and, and like together we could all rise together. Right. So that's what we're proud about with home team is like, it's this massive fellowship. It's a big tribe. It's a big community. And by grouping together, we're able to offer something really special to, to, to clients um, to keep going. But it's a different approach, right? It's a, it's a different model. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I think there's lessons in, in a lot of industries of like, if you, if you share it and if you become more of like a distributed model, there's, there's different opportunities.
0: Well, I think there's a lesson for life there. That that's such a great perspective. You know, the one thing I've said from the beginning of all of this on the show is that I hope we all come out of it with more choices and more possibilities than we went in. And it, it certainly sounds like you're delivering on that with what you're doing with home team. Could I Yeah. Could I say one thing based
2: on um like your last point or like the last thing you said? Yeah. Is um so I think like with with what we've been up to for the last few years like the thing that gets me the most excited um about it when i think about oh okay like this is something that's actually does have some legs it's starting to catch on um the thing that that gets me the most excited is is that i think in the early days of the pandemic i think there was an enormous am- amount of stress like especially around people who work freelance mm. as freelance filmmakers yeah. of like, is our way of life even going to be able to go on? Like, do I need to like, you know, go get an office job yeah. um, somewhere or, or choose a different industry. And I think one of the things, and, and honestly, I think all of us were at on some level had that fear ourselves. Right. Yeah. So I think it's, what I'm most proud of is that I think is that we we found avenues to bring interesting work to these filmmakers who are within our network, and that they can do it, you know, without traveling, without spending eighty percent of their time on the road and being away from their families. Um, but then, when I think about where this could go, is I- I'm really excited about growing the home team community of filmmakers and and having it like actually become more of a community where people can lean on each other for advice and um you know it, and also as a way to get more work for everybody um but then also you know if you look ahead even further than that you know is it is it a way to to help empower local local art communities you know these these filmmakers who you know if they if they live in you know, Birmingham, Alabama, or Madison, Wisconsin, or, or places like that. Um, you know, they, if we're bringing them more work, and, and it, and, you know, I know it's like kind of like a far off goal, but it's like on a very small level, are we helping to make these artistic communities in all these places across the world just like a little bit more vibrant? I think it's something that just like really. You know, excites me
0: about it. Thank you, Legan. That is that's a really great perspective. I know one question I'm going to get in response to that from my listeners. I'm going to have you know filmmakers contact me saying, "Well, you know, can I join this community? Are you are you recruiting? It is if somebody is in a, a part of the world where they think, well, I've got skills, I've got professional equipment, could I be a part of Home Team?"
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, the answer is yes.
1: <laughs> yeah i i think we are always recruiting i think the goal is yeah i i think the goal is for us to you know we're we're only so many people able to s- do so many hours of searching for the for the next talent right or talent mm-hmm. that's these hidden gems right yeah um our goal is to turn it into sort of like a a banner or like a a beacon of like I mean, then, then that's then we've really done our jobs well. If people start to know that we're out there and come to us and say, "I believe in your, I believe in your values and your mission, and I, w- I want to be involved," and like that's, uh, I mean, I'm so excited for that data to, to happen. Um,
0: so where should yeah. they go if that's the case? Somebody's listening.
1: Yeah, they if if, if they. If what we're doing excites them, they could go to uh wearehometeam.com and uh on there, you know, just shoot us an email and it'll it'll arrive in our inboxes and we'll start the conversation. And um that's how that's how they could get in, in
0: touch. Fantastic. And of course I'll be linking from the show notes as well. So okay, we've been on quite the journey here, and I I think there will be a lot of creatives listening to this, not particularly within film and TV, obviously, but also other creatives. I think you've opened up some really important fundamental ideas for us all and how we respond to this situation. So I think this would be a good time to focus on your creative challenge. So if anybody is new to the show, this is the point where I ask my guest or today guests to set you, the listener, a creative challenge. So this is something that is on theme for the interview and helps you maybe integrate some of the ideas into your own practice and it's something that you can do or you can get started on within seven days of listening to this conversation so home team what is your creative challenge
3: um my creative challenge is the question when and what is your next reinvention right so as uh-huh. creatives, what I feel at this stage in my career is I feel like I've, in retrospect, had to go through a series of, of reinventions as a creative, as an entrepreneur, as a business model, um, you know, personally, as a company. Um, and I think I used to not really realize the reinventions until they had after after they had already happened. And so now when I look back, I'm like, you know, the reinventions are just they're constant they're like every four or five years yeah. and when yeah. I sit down and, and I look at it, it's like what still holds true in your in your value that you provide and what needs adjustment and if you can separate those two things it'll help you get closer to your next reinvention um, and that would be that would be my challenge is to look at it proactively rather than reactively mm. of yeah. seeing your next reinvention coming and shape it and know that it's coming rather than being reactive. Um, I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. That, that would be my challenge to any any creative or any entrepreneur.
0: Okay, great. Great. Because it's coming ready or not <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Who's next? I got one. Okay.
2: Um. I get mine's a bit more straightforward, I think, um, for our topic, but it's, uh, I, I think a lot, a lot of times when you're, when you're trying to do something creative, you're always asking permission to do it yeah. because there's always some sort of gatekeeper mm-hmm. who's, who's the barrier between, you know, you and whatever creative endeavor you want to do. And I, I always tell like people, if I talk to, you know, younger people who are trying to get into film specifically, Is to just start doing it because that's really the only way to learn. Um, And especially, you know, if if when you're specifically talking about filmmaking, the tools are there. I mean, you know, at this point, you know, a cell phone camera is as powerful as you know professional cameras were ten years ago. Hmm. So, you know, if if you have the vision to write a script and you have a cell phone, then you can make a movie. You know, so it's it's just. You know, stop asking permission and and start making stuff.
1: Fantastic! I love that. Um, Mine is uh, so. Growing up, my my dad. So my dad's like a designer and a he's a consumer advocate, mm-hmm. really interesting guy with a whole diverse set of experiences. But one thing he really like instilled in me was he always said, "I think this is from his dad too, so maybe advice from my grandpa." Uh, throughout life you know challenges will come your way but whenever that happens look for a chance to turn a disadvantage into an advantage is what he would always say mm-hmm. so this sort of disadvantage into an advantage is like burned into my head and as as a guy who you know has a design and consumer advocate background i was exposed to that it turned into like whenever you feel a pain point or a constraint that's where your answer is so what i would for the challenge what i would encourage your listeners to do and this has always stayed true for me is like rather than accept the things that piss you off or are standing in your way look at them and say how can i solve this and if you could solve it probably means a lot of other people want it solved and that might be your answer to opening up a whole world of possibility um so Look for the constraints, look for the things that piss you off, make a piece of art about it, make a comment about it, solve it, share it with the world. Um, and I think that's, I don't know, that that's always something that, um, that's how I try to approach things actually.
0: Well, thank you, Brandon. Lagan, Harrison. I think, you know, one thing I'm really taking from today, and I always say to my listeners, listen for the attitude, even if it's not your industry or your creative field, listen to the attitude that these people have. And you've really showed it in spades that coming to a crisis, you know, you can't expect the crisis, but actually you you already had a lot to draw on before it hit. And also what i love is is the fact that you were outward looking you were looking to connect people you were looking to come up with solutions rather than there was no end to commiseration and and what uh, raj sethi likes to call the sympathy exchange but you were you know you you were looking to the future and saying hey here's what we can do here here's the opportunity and the constraint so where should people go who want to find out more about home team is it wearehometeam.com
1: that's it. Um, no, I. I mean, we've built a pretty robust site. Um, we kind of turned our capabilities deck that we are sharing with clients and filmmakers into our website. So it's a, uh, you know, it's a collection of our work. It's a collection of case studies, how we got stuff done, some behind the scenes photos of our crews out in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our information about how we approach things. I, I think it's like pretty robust, uh, website that you could learn a lot about who we are, where we come from and what we're doing at any given time.
0: And also I would say if anybody's listening to this, who is thinking, yeah, but I mean, really, can you get the quality? Can you get the consistency, uh, creatively go and have a look at the project section of the website? Cause there's an eye popping set of projects and you know, you several of them. You can, you list all of the locations, where you've shot and you, I wouldn't guess, but it looks and it feels seamless in terms of the look and the feel and the style and the atmosphere and also the quality. So, uh, so that's a great place to, to go and check all that out. We are home team.com. Thank you very much gentlemen for your time and your hard won wisdom. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Mark.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having us.
0: You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's episode with more about my guest, as well as all the backlist episodes at 21stcenturycreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you will subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and take a few seconds to swipe and leave a rating for the show. If you would like to take the 21st Century Creative Foundation course to help you carve out an original creative career, you can sign up and get the whole course for free at 21 freecourse And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21st stcenturycreativefm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.